Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 once again this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> As we, this is kind of a continuation of last week's message. It's really one continuous paragraph, you might say, here, but I've divided up into two parts. Uh, so this morning I'm going to look at the second part of it. And last week we looked at approving ourselves in our associations, as to do with separation. This morning I, I have given a different title to the second part, and that is Received into Favor by the Father. So that's be the title this morning. But I want to read, again, beginning at verse 11, and I'm going to read down through chapter 7 and verse 1. It says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You're not straightened in us, but you're straightened in your own biles. You know, we've seen a good illustration of that for you as you were in Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class this morning. Saul went his own way. He did what was according to his feelings. He didn't, he didn't obey the, the command, the clear command of God, although he tried to say he did. He did partially, but that's not what God wants. Anyway, so he was straightened, he was hindered, um, and that's what Paul's writing to the Corinthians here and to us as well. So you're not straightened in us, you're straightened in your own biles. It refers to our own feelings, our own emotions, our own, our own ideas. Now for recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And you notice that word perfecting there, the idea was a continual process. We call that sanctification. It's a, it's a continued process. So we're to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the message this morning is received into favor by the Father. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again. For the opportunity and privilege is ours to open your precious word, I pray that as we look into the word of God today that you'd help us to lay aside the cares of this life and to center our thoughts and attention upon you and give attention to thy word. I pray that the Spirit of God who uh, dwells in us, who are born again by, by the Spirit, to, that we would give, uh, be yielded to him, allow him to teach us, instruct us, and Lord, allow him to search us and Search our hearts and uh, reveal those things that are displeasing to thee, that are defiling to us, that we might cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and walking in holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at, you know, approving ourselves and our associations. This, this passage really is talking about our associations, not only with people, but uh, things that we do, you know, maybe what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, all those things affect us, can have a, a positive effect in our walk with the Lord, or they can have a negative effect. And so we're to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And he talks about those associations, 
that would straighten us or would hinder us uh, or restrict us. And, and the idea here, the picture again is like being yoked together. You know, we're workers together with God. That's what this chapter is all about. We're workers together with God. We're to yoke up with Him. And if we're being yoked, if you're going to yoke up with something that speaks of a team, they have to be the same thing. They have to be the same size. They have to be in agreement, pulling the same direction. And, and so we want to be in favor with God, and we can't do that, he says, if we're yoked up with unbelievers, if we're in fellowship with unrighteousness, or we're, you know, or things of darkness, or things of belial, wicked, to all those things would, 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 would work against us working together with God. And God wants to bring us into a place of favor with Him. Now, I'm just gonna go to Genesis, Chapter 37, and for just a moment, and I want to, I want to make a point here as we think about this, bringing this place being received into favor, and that's what verse 17 says that he's going to receive us if we separate under the Lord. In Gen- and this is an illustration. Genesis 37, verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, chapter 39, and verse 3 through 5, this is Joseph's now in Egypt, Potiphar's house, and it says in Potiphar, his master saw that the Lord was with him, verse 3, that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all they had in the house and in the field. And if you drop down to verse 20, he's in prison now. In verse 20 it says, And Joseph's master, that is the prison guard, took him, or Joseph's master, that is Pat of Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, place where the prison, king's prisoners were bound. He was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all that the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, my question to you is, why did God favor Joseph? Why did God favor Joseph? Well, you know, God just has his favorites. No. It's not the reason. Go back to chapter 37 and verse 2. And I believe we get an understanding of why God favored Joseph and why Joseph's father favored him as well. Verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 year old, years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Billah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Ha, huh, Joseph was a tattletale. No, he was not a tattletale. Joseph was a righteous man, and he reported to his father the wickedness of his sons. So that his father, who had authority over them, had an opportunity to correct them. See, Joseph was a righteous even as a young man. He did not participate. He separated himself from the sins of his brothers. Though he lived in the same house, 
He did not participate. And that's what really, when it says, touch not the unclean thing, it means don't participate with. He did not participate with his brethren in their wickedness. Therefore, God favored him. You see, this favor was a result of Joseph's choices. And if we, as God's children, want this kind of relationship with God, it is of our choosing. It's of our choosing. You see, we, have to, we must choose to repent. Of course, we have to choose and repent, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And just like that, we must choose to draw near in our relationship and our fellowship with the Lord. It's of our choice. God is holy. God doesn't change. And if we want to be near to Him, we must draw, we must draw near to Him. And if we're going to draw near to Him, what Paul's writing to the church of Corinth and he's saying to us today is, look, if you want to have this loving, companion relationship with God, close relationship with God, there are some things that have to be evident in your life. You must put away, be continually, and it's a continual process, be continue putting away or, or moving away from those things that defile you that the Lord brings to your attention as you grow. And as you grow, God will reveal things to you. You've got to continue to put those away and choose to draw near to Him. You see, separation is not just quit, quit doing those wicked things. It's not just that. It's not just a negative. It is a positive. It is drawing near in obedience to God. And so... If we are going to be received into favor by the Father, I want you to notice uh, several things, three things here this morning. There must be a rejection of uncleanness. And then secondly, there is a reception of the Father. And then thirdly, there's a reliance on the power of the words of God. First of all, there must be a rejection of uncleanness. And let's drop down to verse 17 is where we're going to pick up. Wherefore, so so he's talking about, you know, preface this with, uh, you know, can't be yoked together, what agreement, so on and so forth, what concord and all that. Verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So there must be a rejection of uncleanness. The word unclean thing means uh, anything that's immoral in thought and life. Anything that would defile our bodies and spirits. Now the word spirit has the idea of the mind. Uh, it refers to the power by which a human being feels, thinks, and wills, and decides. So, so you're talking about your mind and your, and your soul here uh, when he uses the word spirit. So, so we're, to, we're to separate from, uh, a, a, a separate from uh, these things that would defile us in thought or in life. Uh, we're not to touch them. He says, touch not. The word touch not means don't adhere yourself, don't put yourself... Uh, don't cling to or hold on to or you know uh, don't fasten yourself to so we wouldn't put yourself into places or positions where you have to compromise the truth and work together with someone now again this is a process of sanctification paul describes this in ephesians 4 and verses 20 through 24 where he says but you have not so learned christ if so be that you have heard him, have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, 
You put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the seat for lust. You know, to them in that day, it meant they quit going to the temples. They no longer went to the temples. They no longer participated. Gave money. They also had guilds. These were organizations that sometimes if you had certain jobs you had to belong to, certain class of people had to belong to, and, and there was there was a there was a worship of of uh, uh, in the temples in that guild, and so it, sometimes it meant they changed jobs because of the guild, simply because of the guild. You know, it, it, separation really doesn't have to do with business, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute. Who you do business with, or who you work for, it has to do with our relationship with God. And, and those things that would draw us away from that or cause us to compromise our convictions. And so, so the, these places they, they ceased to go to, they didn't, com- they didn't continue the practice, the same practice that were accepted. Temple prostitution was accepted for married men in Ephesus and at Corinth. Paul says it's no longer, it's not acceptable to God. Just like today. Living together is acceptable. It's considered okay without being married. But not with God. You know, watching pornography is considered acceptable. It's even recommended by some therapists. If you want to ruin your marriage, it's not with God. See, these are the things that defile us, and we need to, we need to separate from these things. And Paul says here, uh, you have not so long Christ, if so be that you heard him and t- t- taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, so that anything that would defile your mind or your body were to work at putting off, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And of course this is a continual process that we do in this life. You know, much, and it's, so I want to, just trying to clarify what biblical separation is, and I believe there's a lot of confusion about it, and I believe a lot of that is the result of fundamentalism. Trying to police the world. If fundamentalism is a, is, a, is a movement of men, it was a reaction to liberalism in the in the denominational churches in the early 1920s, and so there was a reaction, and they and they separated from them, but, and, they, and they have this idea that they're going to change the world. They're going to police the world. Separate from every bad sinner in the world. Well, if you're going to separate from every bad sinner in the world, you're going to have to leave the world. You're going to have to leave it. Because the world's full of sinners. In case you don't know that, it is. Every bad corporation we can't do business with. I remember... Uh, Fundamentalist guy I knew, and, and he was, you know, uh, I had a lot of respect for him in some ways, but he said, you know, he wouldn't shop at Food Line because they sell liquor. Well, you can't go to Walmart, you can't go to Target, you can't go to Aldi, you can't go to Lidl, you can't go to Low Food. Where are you going to buy groceries? You know. See, that's, that's policing the world. The world is going to sell liquor. The world is going to sin. Don't be surprised if the world does it. Just like I've often said, your children are going to disobey you and don't be surprised when they do. Why? Because they're sinners. We can expect sinners to live like sinners. 
But see, we're not to police the world. We're not to even judge the world. In fact, and, and, you know, I, I understand we all have preferences, and we can have preferences, and, and that's fine, but there's no command in the Bible about who we do business with. In fact, Paul told the, the, the church at Corinth that they were to buy their meat in the shambles or the meat market. Now, most likely it came from the temples where it was offered and sacrificed to the gods, but he said to buy it asking no questions. 1 Corinthians 10.25, if you want to look it up. He said, buy it asking no questions. Read it, asking no questions. It may have been offered to idol, but he said, I understand. He said, we can understand what is an idol. What is an idol? It's nothing. It isn't anything. There's only one God, and that's the true God. So all these idols are false gods. They're made up of man's imagination. He says, so go to the market where it's been offered and sacrificed and buy it. Just don't ask any questions. Now, again, so you go to go to food line and buy your meat. You just don't buy the liquor. In fact, look at Deuteronomy, and we see a principle here about this concerning this in Deuteronomy chapter two, where Paul, or not Paul, Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and and he makes it very clear. You know, they they have to go through. There are some places they have to go through that belong to heathen nations, and, and, and notice the instructions that the Lord give Moses concerning these. Deuteronomy 2, 1 through 6 says, Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, You have compassed this mountain long enough, turn ye northward. And command thou the people, saying, You are to pass through this coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir. And they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them. In other words, don't intermingle with them. For I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a footbreadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for possession. Now notice verse 6. Ye shall buy meat of them for money, that ye may eat. And ye shall also buy water of them for money that ye may drink. So they were to go through the land of Esau. They were not to live in the land of Esau, but they were to go through it. And he says, and when you go through it, you can do business with Esau. You can buy money, buy food for money, and you can buy water for money. But you're not to stay, and you're not to take Esau's land. You can do business with them. But you're not... And and notice chapter 20... Uh, to here, verse 26 through 29, he, he says this about other nations as well. Verse uh, 26, it says, And I sent messengers out of the wilderness of Kedemoth unto Sion, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through thy land. I will go along by the highway. I will neither turn unto the right hand nor to the left. Thou shalt sell me meat for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only I will pass through on my feet. As the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and the Moabites, which dwell in Ar, did unto me, until I shall pass over Jordan unto the land which the Lord our God giveth us. So, so he's, he's writing this king, and he's asking them to let him pass through their land, and he said, we want to buy meat to eat, and we want to buy water to drink. We can do business with you, but we're not going to dwell there. We're not going to intermarry. We're not going to intermingle. We're not going to bring ourselves into yoking together with you, participate in your moral practices. We just want to buy and sell. See, separation has not, 
It's not about buying and selling. It's about yoking together. And of course, separation is both personal and ecclesiastical. When we say ecclesiastical, we mean church-related. It has to do with the church. And so let's look at a couple examples about church separation. And now, when I say church, I mean one thing. Local. There is no other church. Biblically, there is no other church. And a lot of separation confusion comes from that universal church idea. You know, and I, and I used, to, used to confuse me. You know, how do you, how do you separate from all this? You know, and I was worried about who, what preacher spoke to this church and what. You know, I don't even care anymore. Because the separation has to do with this church. Now, we, separation does also govern what other churches we fellowship with. But I'm not, and it's not my concern who Pastor Webb preaches for. It's my concern who I preach for and about our church. Anyway, so examples of separation that is church-related. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and verses 9 through 3. And I want to point some things out here to try and clarify and give you a good understanding of biblical <coughs> separation. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Of course, we know this is, a, this is an instance in the church at Corinth. There was a man who was committing fornication with his father's wife. It was believed to be a stepmom. And, and they were not doing anything about it. Paul tells them they need to discipline this man. They need to vote him out of the church. And so on. And then he says in verse 9, he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, the word accompany means to associate with, to be intimate with. In other words, to be your close friends. Don't be close friends with fornicators. Now, notice what he goes on and says, Yet, not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. In other words, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not going to associate with anybody that's a fornicator, you're going to have to leave the world. You're going to have to leave the world. Uh, what he's saying here is, you don't have association or keep company with a fornicator who's called a brother. He's called a brother. In fact, in verse 11 he says, But now have I, I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an adulterer or a railer or a drunkard or extortioner with such an one know not to eat. So, if there's a, if there's a person in the church who's a fornicator, And, and as example, of course, is this man they're talking about, and they're to vote him out of the church. And Paul says, look, don't keep company with that man. Don't eat with that man. He said, I'm not talking about the people out there in the world. I'm talking about this guy who's called a brother who's been a member of the church. Don't eat with him. So if somebody is disciplined out of our church, voted out of our church for, 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 well, uh, you know, some, some reason, some doctrinal reason, we ought not to keep company with them. We ought to treat him like we would treat a unsafe person. We wouldn't go after he's voted out and say, hey brother, let's go to the steakhouse. No, I would go to the steakhouse with a lost man. 
they give me an opportunity to witness to them. But we're not to keep company with those who is called a brother. You know, we had an instance years ago. Some members got upset about something a guest speaker said in a joke. And he got angry. The reason he got angry, I said, is because it's true. And he didn't like being told the truth. The guest speaker didn't even know the situation. He wasn't familiar with the guy's habits. And this guy, you know, he argued with the pastor. It wasn't me at the time. And he would not get right. And he finally, they just left. And we voted them out. Then they started tending again after I became the pastor. And then he expressed an interest in going out in visitation. That would be fellowship. That's a joint venture, working together, visitation. Sharing together in the ministry. I said, this ain't happening. Deacons and I met with him, confronted him about his sin when he left, and that he'd never made it right. Oh, he said, oh, that was with the other pastor. And one of the deacons wives said, no, it was against the body, the church. You know, I still see him every once in a while. I say hello. I talk to him. But he's not a good friend. He's not somebody I associate with. He's not somebody I'd go out to eat with. Now, if anybody, any of you... One of you want to invite me out to eat to the steakhouse? I'm more, I'd be very inclined to go. No, that's not an invitation. That's just an illustration. Because we are in fellowship. But see, he was voted out because of his sin, and we are not to fellowship with him. We're not to consider him an enemy, but we aren't to have fellowship with him. You see... God is not commanding this separation here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from sinners, people in the world. Otherwise, we'd have to leave the world. We'd have to leave the world. Because they're everywhere. We wouldn't be able to do business with anybody. At least not very many. In fact, Luke 15, 2 says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Of course, they were speaking of Jesus. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. Jesus ate with those publicans and sinners and preached to those publicans and sinners. You know, this is how sinners get saved. We make acquaintances with them and witness to them. And it may be over a meal. Now, again, we won't become close friends because we have different ideas, but we don't go out and try and police the world's actions. And so, so let's look at a second example, Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three. <clears throat> and again, <clears throat> this is written to the church at Thessalonica, and he tells them as a church. Verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we withdraw ourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. So, so the withdrawal from every brother. So they're, they're not to keep company. Same idea. 
For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither be any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that you might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you. So again, these are people in the church. Walk among you, disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So again, we see, what we see here is, a couple of things. We're to withdraw from every disorderly brother. Those among you have no company with them. That means we don't keep company or associate with. We're not to treat them as an enemy, someone that is hostile. You know, if they were hostile, we'd completely avoid them altogether. We, like the fellow I was telling you about, I wouldn't speak to him. I'd avoid him. I don't try to avoid him. I'm not trying to avoid him. You know, like I say, I run into him every once in a while. Then I'm kind, considerate, you know. Uh, there's others I've run into and, and, I've, and I've talked to about, you know, their relationship with the Lord. Uh, so we're not to treat them as an enemy. We're to admonish them, but we're not to keep company. But we are to admonish them. That word admonish means to warn, to exhort, to encourage them to get right with God. So, so this is what separation is, as, as, as in the church, it's with brethren, with those in the church. Churches, of course, are also commanded to separate from false doctrine, those who teach things contrary to the scriptures. Romans chapter 16 and verses 17 and 18. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines which ye have, doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, so you're to, we're to identify and we're to uh, avoid these that teach doctrines contrary to the Scriptures. So again, the idea of a separation, churches must identify, and the word uh, mark there has the, it's the word scopio. Sound familiar, hunters? Scope. That's what, that's what the word is. You put your crosshairs on. You identify your target with a scope. And, and so he says we're to identify those which cause divisions, divisions and offenses contrary. They're teaching things contrary to the truths of the Word of God. We're identify those and we're not to support. We're to avoid them. So as children of God and as, a, as and as a church, we should not support by finances or by attendance any church that teaches, church, quote unquote, that teaches false doctrine, uses worldly methods of evangelism like CCM or trunk or treat. Coming up on Halloween here, trunk or treat. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that Thursday night. It's not an innocent holiday. 
the history of wickedness. But you know, these churches are using worldly methods. They're leaving the methods of the Bible and, and, and using these worldly methods to attract people to the gospel. You know, there was nothing attractive about the Lord Jesus. He was plain. And just because it says Baptist does not mean it's sound. Doesn't mean it's sound. Your Revelation 18.4 says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. It's talking about the, the church of the, the great whore. It's described as a great whore. It's false, the false churches and the false teachings that's, that's, that's you know, prevalent in our world, the apostasy today, we're not to have any part of it. So we are commanded to separate from those churches that do not teach. You know, that's why we're careful who we support as a missionary. I get calls and emails. Probably, well, they're starting to trickle down a little bit because I keep saying no. You know, but I get an email every, every week, every two weeks, And uh, we just don't support anyone. And I'm not trying to be unkind. I, I, you know, I wrote a letter to a guy some years ago, and I said, I said, you know, it, it, it appears, you know, that we're not in agreement. And I'm not saying that to criticize you or say you're wrong and I'm right and I'm right and you're wrong. But I do think that you ought to find support from those that agree with you and seek it. You know, I wouldn't have sought my support from him. So why should I give him my support? Uh, we need to be yoked together. See, we have to be in agreement. And, of course, we, we, we can fellowship with those churches that we are in agreement with. Uh, churches are to honor the disciplinary actions and decisions of churches they are in fellowship with. Look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. Of course, this is the account where there were some left that went out, or that came from the church at Jerusalem, went down to Antioch, were teaching that they had to be circumcised to be saved. And so there was a, there was a, a, a discussion and a meeting about this at the church at Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas. And in verse 22 it says, then, it ple- then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company in Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barnabas, or Barsabbas, and Silas, chief of men among the brethren. They wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles, in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So these are all Gentile churches. For as much as we have heard that certain went, which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying... You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, yet you abstain from meats, offers to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which you keep yourselves, you shall do well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. 
which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. So what you have here is a letter and some men that, that you know, these churches fellowship together, but there's a situation arose with some false doctrine that was, the source was, they, the people came from Jerusalem, although the church of Jerusalem didn't officially send them out. Nevertheless, they were from the church of Jerusalem. And so, the church in Antioch says, wait a minute, this is not right. This is not right. And the church of Jerusalem said, you're right, it's not right. We agree with it, what you're saying. And so, you know, th- those churches, although there wasn't a discipline that actually took place there, there was some identification of those false teachers. And they agreed against those false teachers. So they would honor the decisions of the churches they were in fellowship with. And we would honor those, you know, if, if, if somebody is voted out of Calvary, we would not take them into membership here. Until things were made right at Calvary. So the churches are to honor the disciplinary actions of churches. In fact, our Constitution says this. In the last paragraph, second last paragraph of the church covenant. It says, furthermore, we acknowledge this covenant is not just a ceremonial statement, but a binding agreement upon all those who join this church, and that failure to keep the covenant is grounds for disciplinary action or removal from the church membership. Finally, we understand and agree that when we are removed from this physical locale, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are to seek out and unite with some other local church of like precious faith as soon as possible, where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. And then under dismissal of members, in page 16, it says this, there's a transfer. Any member in good standing who moves to another location wishes to transfer to another church of like faith, practice, and doctrine, notice, like faith, practice, and doctrine, will be granted a letter of transfer after their request upon the affirmative vote of the congregation. No open letter will be granted. In other words, a church can't give you a letter saying, you're just dismissed. Well, it can give you a disciplinary letter saying you've been dismissed. And if it does, no other church should take you in. That's why when we have people come here from other churches, we always call the former pastor. Now, there are justifiable reasons for leaving a church. There are justifiable reasons for leaving a church. Because of the sometimes you have to separate from churches. Churches are made up of people who, with pastors who are people who sometimes read into the text like judges do and reinterpret the text. So, the separation, that's church. Personal separation, verses 17 and 18 again of our text says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, as individuals, we are to separate from the sins of the world and religious fellowships. In Ephesians 5, Paul gives a lengthy passage there 
about separation, and I don't have time to read it all, but, but if you would read that, uh, he talks about all fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness to foolishness. And he gives a list of things. And then in verse 10 he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. You know, I have been members of churches in the past that I could no longer be a member of now. Because I have grown. And some of this, sometimes those churches change. Those churches change. But he's talking here more of the, the, a lot about the sins of the flesh as well. So there needs to be this personal, pers- uh, personal separation. We're not to have biblical fellowship, be acquainted with biblical fellowship or participation with the unsaved. Uh, you know, we can eat with them, witness them, but we're not to be and bring ourselves into uh, bondage or yoke together that would cause us to compromise the truth. So, so there's ecclesiastical and personal separation, and when we separate, there is this reception of the Father. Notice verse 8, 17 again. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. See, that meant that those that got saved at Corinth no longer had parties together with those that went to the temples. I mean, they could work with them. They could, you know, meet them on the street and have a conversation with them. But, you know, we sometimes, you know, like there was an announcement this morning about a housewarming party. Um, And, of course, you know, there will be unsaved people invited to that. It's not church function. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we don't, we wouldn't pile around with or know as best friends or those that we have keep company with and close relationships with those that are fornicators. We do business with them, we witness to them, befriend them, but we don't have close, intimate relationships with. But this reception of the Father here says, he says, if we come out from among you and be ye separate, touch not the unclean thing, I will receive you. That word receive means treat with favor. God will treat with favor. The word Father here is, is interesting as well. Uh, it refers to someone in close relationship who no longer dread as a stern judge of sinners, but revere him as a reconciled and loving father. You know, Romans 8.14 says, or 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's not only you fear and dread of him, he's your father. You have a relationship with him. It's one where he is, is expressed concern and care. 
Abba speaks of endearment, of a loving, caring relationship, of oneness, of agreement. You know, God addresses us in 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. See, our God becomes a father. We, we are received by a father that cares and that has compassion and is concerned about our every need. You see, our God is knowable. He is merciful. He has given us a revelation of himself in his word. We can have assurance of receiving his mercy. We can have assurance of eternal life. Now are we the sons of God. You know, in Islam, Allah cannot be known. Cannot be known. Nor can they have assurance of everlasting life. They say He's a God of mercy, but they can't know before they die if they have eternal life, if they have that mercy. Is that mercy? See, our God's not like that. Our God is a merciful God. And a knowable God. I like what it says in Psalm 103, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The word pitieth there means cherishing, cherishing, soothing, a gentle emotion of mind to behold with tenderest affection. Think of the Lord Jesus, who is God. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler, it says he behold him, he beheld him, loved him. He loved him. And I don't know, but I have to wonder if there wasn't a tear come into his eye when he realized this man whom he loved, whom he was going to die for, was going to walk away rejecting him and his own salvation. Like as a father. Mark Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted were scattered abroad, having no shepherd. You see, this, this relationship, he says, when, he says, when I will receive you, it speaks of a place of favor. We get to know God as that loving, merciful, compassionate, caring God. You know, Abraham had a different kind of relationship with God than Lot. Both were saved men. But it was quite different. There were promises made to Abraham that weren't made to Lot. There were things revealed to Abraham and understood by Abraham that were not revealed to Lot. In fact, Genesis 18:17, the Lord said, "Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do?" Abraham had the privilege of intercession for the deliverance of Lot. 
Why? Because Abraham separated himself from Sodom. Lot moved in to Sodom. See, separation is drawing near to God. Abraham had drawn near to God. And when you draw near to God, you leave the filthiness and the unclean things of this world. You leave it. Or, if you're going to live for God, they'll leave you. They will leave you. Then there's a third thing. There has to be a reliance on the power of the words of God. Notice chapter 7, verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Because we have the promises of God, we can live in this wicked world and yet not capitulate to its wickedness and rebellion, which is against God. And really, which is against ourselves. To rebel against God is to oppose yourself. You know, when a sinner rejects God's offer of salvation, you're con- they are condemning themselves. If you reject God's offer of salvation, you are condemning yourself to the lake of fire. In Acts 18, 6, that Corinth, there were some that opposed themselves, the Bible says, and blasphemed. Paul says he shook his raiment, said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. Therefore, I go into the Gentiles. See, when we resist the word, the promises of God, we resist against ourselves. But we have the word of God. We have the word of God to renew our minds, to quicken our spirits, to empower us by the Holy Spirit, to overcome the wickedness and the temptations that we face in the world. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened, made alive, given life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, we can renew our minds every day in the word of God and cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of this old world by renewing our minds. Submitting, Ephesians 5.18-20 talks about submitting ourselves to the spirit of God and, and being filled with the spirit. First Peter 1.22 he says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. See, we purify our souls, our, 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 our wills, our, our minds, our affections. We purify those things through the Spirit by the Word of God. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He said this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. See, the word of God effectually worked. It changed your life. It changed your heart. It changed your will. It changed your desires. It changed your thoughts. The, the word of God is a is a curative. It cures, it heals. It cleanses. The cleanse means to free from defilement of sin, from faults, purifies. And so, you know, we have the promises of God's Word that can purify 
and cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. You know, I am thoroughly convinced that there is not a sin that the Word of God and the Spirit of God dwelling in a child of God cannot overcome. But it's a matter of uh, will we yield to it? Will we apply it? You know, it's referred to in the Old Testament a couple of places as the balm of Gilead. You know, you put a a balm is something you put on a sore to enhance the healing of it. The Word of God is that balm to our souls and our spirits. It could bring healing, but it has to be applied. It has to be applied. If we heard about that free will this morning, God doesn't put it on it, on it, on us. He doesn't force us to take it. He says, "Here it is." Here's the remedy. Here's the balm. You apply it. And it'll work. It'll work on that sore in your life. And it'll bring healing. It isn't instantaneous. You know, I cut my leg last week with a saw. I still have a scar. Now, if I bump it, I know it's there. But otherwise, I don't know it's there. It's that stage. But you know what? They put antibiotic ointment on it at the doctor's office. But it didn't heal just like that. It's been two weeks. It's gone two weeks. And I still see it. Still not completely healed. It takes time. We have to continue to apply that balm. Separating ourselves unto God. And he says, I will be a father. We have to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. The, again, the idea of perfecting speaks of a, a continual progression. I'm, I'm, it's like walking. It's called walking with God. Enoch walked with God. That speaks of a progression. And he walked with God until he got to the point where God says, you're closer to me than the world, just come home. You know, God wants us to walk with him. And it requires. And of course the Bible says we're to sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So are you being received in the favor with the Lord? Are you separating yourself unto God? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? See this separation idea is not about who I do business with. Not even about who I work for. It's about separating ourselves unto God. Not bringing ourselves into bondage and the corruption that is in the world through lust. 